Welcome to Mondays with Matt, with Matt Starkey. Start each week fresh with sound financial advice. Grab your coffee and maybe a pen. It's time to kick off your week with Matt. Back for another edition of Mondays with Matt. Matt and myself talking about investing, finance, and retirement. And we've got the top five important financial debates you might want to pick a side on or we might want to get Matt to pick a side on. Probably not going to happen because advisors often say, well, it depends. Because <laughs> it, <really, laughs> right. it really does depend on everybody's individual situations. But these are five things that tend to pop up often on financial debates. So we're going to run through these and just get Matt's take. And of course, you, know, you can think about these from your standpoint as we go through them as well. And of course, if you've got questions on these debates, which I'm sure you do, reach out to Matt, reach out to a qualified pro before you take any action and make sure that you're doing the right things for you and your retirement. What's going on, my friend? How you doing? Hey, Mark, I'm doing very well today. Fantastic. So financial debates, they never happen, right? Not at all. No. no. What do you mean? No. Debates. Everything <laughs> Aren't I is, always right? <laughs> everything is smooth and easy and nobody ever talks argues about anything. No, not at all. No, no. Well, I got a couple for you. I got five. Okay. I, I broke okay. it down to five. So I just want you to run through these with me and, and see what we can, uh, what you think on this. I'm going to start with the. Wait, big. wait, wait. I got to pick a side. I got eh, to choose a side. Maybe. Oh, okay. Or at least give us pros and cons if you say depends. I'll give you a caveat. I'll give you an out. <laughs> okay. If you say depends, which I'm sure you probably will, give I us some pros and cons wait. on either side. Uh, Very good. All right. The house. Always a big debate, always a big financial conversation. Clearly, it's a very big asset. Uh, but here's the way it's all in the wording of the statement. These are statements, by the way, taken from various different financial uh, institutions, pros, magazines, whatever across the country. Okay. You should okay. always pay off your house as soon as possible. Well, I would say no, because I don't like always and I don't like never. But you, sh- you should always pay off your house as soon as you can. Um it's not bad well, advice, but it's not a bad advice. It's not bad to pay cash for your home a lot of times. Uh, in this situation, I would say no, not always as soon as you can necessarily. Um, again, it does lead me to say it depends on your situation. Well, ho- house rich and cash poor comes to mind. If yeah. you're trying to pull all the money out of your 401k because you owe Let's say you got a hundred grand left on your house, and you're like, "Hey, I've got two hundred grand in my four hundred one k. Let me pull a hundred grand out and pay it off. It'll make me feel better." I mean, okay, great. That may it may be what you ultimately want to do, but is it the smartest financial move? Probably not. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're pulling money out of investments, you have to be aware of a couple of things. Number one, you know, the one that you mentioned is four hundred one k or an IRA. Mm-hmm. Sure, you know, if one, we're gonna yeah. pay a big chunk out, as long as it it's like a traditional that's going to be all taxable to you. So if you pay a hundred grand, take out a hundred grand, excuse me. And then you uh, decide to pay your house off with that. You're going to have to pay out more than a hundred thousand because you're going to have to account for taxes, federal income taxes and state. If you, if you have state income tax on that hundred to, to net the hundred, and then you're going to pay, I don't know, let's just assume you're in the 12 or 22% bracket at least. Now you're going to pay that in federal taxes to pay off a mortgage. That's what interest rate. So if you if you got lucky or you got uh, smart and you refinanced while the price well or you bought while uh, interest rates were still low, like around two three percent, I would say don't pay off the house yet. Just continue to pay how you're paying because it's cheap money. You got two or three percent interest on your uh, mortgage, and uh, you're gonna it's going to cost you. Let's say if you're in the twenty two percent federal bracket right now, and then you got if you're in Michigan, four and a quarter for state of Michigan. So it's going to cost you 27% to get to, to pay off a 2% loan interest rate. 
may not be the best situation, but again, it depends on your financial situation. So always pay off your house as soon as you can. Not necessarily. Yeah. I, I would say no. Um, and you definitely got to ask an advisor or get perspective because this situation comes up a lot. And again, we had some, I have some retirees that wanted to liquidate, but they're going to buy a newer home and they're going to wait for their house to sell. And then the difference, you know, is what they're going to, they're going to probably end up financing is what I recommended to them because of that situation. They have high incomes, they're in a high tax bracket. And if we have to liquidate, it's going to cost them a ton of money. So I just said, you're better off paying this low rate using your required distributions to pay the mortgage payment. You're going to be fine, but um, you have RMDs to take out every year too. So theirs was substantial, like over 500,000 for the, for the house. So taking out that big chunk of money, is going to pay a lot of federal income tax. It's going to short you, and in terms of your long-term investments. So, yeah, for the answer, the answer for them was finance the smaller portion. Yeah, and um, take use your required distributions to pay the monthly payment. Yeah, every situation is going to be a little bit different here. And obviously, at the end of the day, you know, Matt, you're not the money police, so your job is to give the information and then let the you know the client choose if if they choose Absolutely. To, to do this, whether it's going to be not not the most sound financial. Uh, move, but it's going to make them sleep better at night. Then, then that's what you wind up doing. But again, just that's that's the point of uh, these debates is is getting all the info so then that you can make a decision based on what it means to you from a you know, from a math, logic, and emotional standpoint. So that's the first one. Uh, life insurance, Matt. Number the second one here is uh, nobody needs life insurance once they've retired. Uh, it's not so, not so, not so. But that's how we raised, and that's how we kind of think about things because. We were, we're kind of brought up thinking, hey, we need insurance when we're in our 30s and our 40s, when we have a young family in case we, something happens to us on the way to work and yada, yada, yada. And so we think when we're a retired person, well, we don't no longer need that because our kids are grown. Right. I'm going to jump on the side of no, that's not necessarily true. Okay. Um, nobody needs life insurance once they've retired. Well, here's a situation where a lot of folks, um, are, if you're married and you're, you're used to a joint income and one of you passes away one of those social security checks disappears. Also, it could be a pension where situation where the pension's gone. So there might be a very real reason to have life insurance while you're retired. It really depends on that situation. Again, there's not a one size fits all for, for situations like this. A lot of times, if you're debt free and you're walk, going into retirement and you have a significant or substantial amount of money invested and saved up where Hey, if I got, you know, a million and a half bucks and I lose a social security check, no big deal. I can take, I can take residual income off of that, you know, at a couple percent and I'll be fine. But every situation is a little bit different. A lot of people don't enter retirement with um, a perfect nest egg, or they don't have all their debts paid off yet. And uh, believe it or not, they need life insurance at that point, at least for maybe 10 years till they can get through the bulk of this this term. So you got to check, you got to do a needs analysis to find out and, and use an advisor for this folks. Don't just talk to an insurance agent, use a financial planner, financial advisor who will talk to you holistically, look at it, the whole situation because it impacts a lot of different things. You know, for my mom and dad, I'll just share a quick um, situation, but my dad had a, had a cash value policy um, for a lot of years and it came in so, so handy when he passed away back in 2010 I saw the impact of life insurance because there's a good sum of money there. It was tax-free money. That's very important during retirement. And so 
it, it, it helps the situation. So a lot of times people will get rid of life insurance. And in, in some cases, I do fall in the favor of not owning life insurance. No, you guys are going to be all set, but you got to do an analysis to make sure right. yep. and say good times, bad times. And where are we going to get money for the funeral and all these other things if one of us passes away? Okay. All right. Uh, next one. Better to have a fee-based advisor instead of a commissioned-based broker. Financial debate here. I would say age plays a factor into this one. When you're 25 and you just want to get a few stocks or something. Now, that granted, you can do that nowadays with just apps. But that might have been the case where yeah, a commission-based broker makes tons of sense. You don't need a holistic planner that's doing all the stuff for your future maybe at 25. But 35, maybe that's different. 45, certainly different. Yeah. Um, again, this one's going to be a little bit of depends depends on people's how they view things too. In a lot of cases, like you said, if you're younger, um, you, you, you may not need the bells and whistles. <laughs> yeah. The bells and whistles, you know, and this one's kind of a little bit of a, a catch 22 also, but you know, commission-based broker, um, the way that those work folks is when you buy or sell, they get paid typically to trade, make trades. So the old, the old, uh, fashion brokers, you know, you, you, you call them up, you want to buy stock, you know, they're going to take a big commission in addition to the, you know, or out of the money that you're using to buy stocks. And they, that's how they get paid. I am a full firm believer that people that do services for you need to get paid. Hello. That's what I do. But, um, I, I chose a fee-based route, uh, early on in my career. I, I, I probably did commission and fee for, for about the first six, seven years of my, and then I worked with a guy who was, he was a fee based person, but he did both. He sold commission year one, and then he started collecting fees after that. And I said, that's not fee only. That's like kind of both. And for me, it just, my own personal feeling was uh, I'm going to be one or the other. And uh, so a commission-based broker is, is um, recommends and the products and they get paid on commission. Now, if I think about real estate, you know, or it's like the investment world, you know, we're probably, if you sell, if you buy a share mutual funds from your average broker here, you're going to pay a probably close to a 6% commission. And that comes right out of your pocket day one. Now, given the average investor's behavior, I would say a fee-based advisor is going to be better for you because the average investor moves their money every 3.8 years, according to Delbar. It's an independent research uh, study. Mm -hmm. So if you move your money every 3.8 years or you buy a different fund, you're going to pay that 6% commission in about four years again. So now you've paid 12% over four years, where if you use a fee-based advisor and they charge you like 1%, you pay 1% per year times four years is 4%. You haven't even met what you would pay from a commission-based broker if you're buying traditional brokerage products. So in that case, I, I think a fee advisor is way better. It's going to cost you way less and they don't have any incentive to sell you the next hottest, greatest product. Out there in the industry, this is where I came from. I came from the commission side We'd have uh, different sales guys at every one of our monthly meetings. First, it's a XYZ company, you know, mutual sure, fund company, yeah. and they're selling you their mutual funds. And then you got an annuity wholesaler who sells variable annuities with income riders. Hey, these are the greatest things in sliced bread because it guarantees income. Well, yeah, but they cost you like four percent to guarantee you six. And then statistically, you know, those things you got to live to be ninety-two or ninety-three before. It actually taps the insurance company's money. So basically, you're not insuring anything other than you just bought a super expensive product and you're going to pay for it the rest of your life. So I don't like a lot of those style of selling because then you're just somebody's next number and they got to make their living this month 
and uh, you get in the way, you're just going to, you're going to probably fall to, Hey, what's the best or hottest product of the yeah, month yeah. or of the year instead of what's right for me in the long run. Okay. All right. So definitely an important conversation there when it comes to the final de- financial debates. Um, the tax bracket conversation, this one's you know classic, obviously. Yeah, you're going to be in a lower t- tax bracket when you retire. So just defer and pay the taxes later. Again, this is how we're raised, Matt. Over the last 40 years, this is what we do, right? We get a job, we pump into the 401k, and we're told that we'll be in a lower tax bracket when we get older. Sometimes, yes. but uh, <laughs> most of the advisors I talk to say about 70, 75% of people that they work with, that is not the case. Yeah, this from a federal tax bracket perspective, if this was 30 years ago, yes. The answer yeah. is yes, you are in a lower tax bracket right now. That worked out for your favor, thankfully. Um, I don't see that being the future of, of the way things are going to go. This is not a truth or false statement. This is a maybe statement again. Um, could I be in a lower tax bracket? Maybe. Yeah, from an income tax standpoint, mm-hmm. and there's ways that I can actually go and eliminate my the taxes that I'll pay, and mm-hmm. I can have a tax-free retirement. But again, that would be paying them now, you know, instead of deferring the taxes now. So there's been a lot of um, let's say changes in retirement vehicles, and so there's a lot of good ways to save pre-tax if you want to do so. There's a lot of ways that you can have a tax-free retirement uh, also, and we can walk you through how to do that. It's not guaranteed that you'll be in a lower bracket. In fact, the way that we're spending, I think most of us are going to be in a higher tax bracket. It's not just federal income tax either. I mean, there's there's uh, taxes like inflation that we don't think about as a tax. We think about it as inflation. But um, if we're not growing our, our money um, and the way that prices are are, go- are growing and going right, especially this year, you're gonna, definitely going to, it's going to cost you more in retirement, whether that's through the prices that you pay for goods and services or if it's taxes that you pay to the government. So I think of inflation almost like its own tax, you know, but I would tend to agree with the, the other advisors that it's almost probably not a true statement. And yeah. I would say um, you're probably going to be in a higher tax bracket. Yeah. I mean, basically retirement. 75%, you're talking about three out of four people are wind up, you know, wind up being in the same tax bracket or a higher one uh, in right. retirement. Yeah. Okay. And then the final one here, Matt, I have to throw this at advisors because I just like to get their take on it because there's one um, uh, financial professional out there, very big name, very big empire uh, who who has a stance here on this one. And so uh, the, the line is you should never use credit cards. I think that's kind of silly in the modern era, but I think the big question is, is can you trust yourself? If you know you're a spend-happy fool, then credit cards may be a bad idea, right? But it could be a useful tool if you've got responsibility on your side. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you should never use credit cards. I don't agree with that. I think there's a lot of good programs that have come out. But again, as you just alluded to, it, this is really dependent on your own behavior. Yeah. Um, if you are one that misses deadlines to make your payment, if you're not on auto pay, and it's going to cost you money. You should never use credit cards. And you know, I don't. I don't and use I, never right, very yeah. often. You know, the the amount of money that people accumulate on credit cards is astounding to me. Oh no, it is. Um, and I feel like this is kind of a younger person's folly too. Not to say only, right? But I, I'm just true. speaking from personal experience. When I was mm-hmm. younger, I did some dumb things with credit cards, and I eventually, you know, got myself out of that. And I think a lot of us do go down that avenue. But if you're talking about as an older person, as we get closer to retirement, I mean, I mean points and miles. There's a lot of things that can be really useful. Heck, I have a credit card, Matt, that I have a very low limit on. 
that I use for things like there's a re- everything's a reoccurring service charge now in life, right? So my yep. streaming services, things like that, they're on that one credit card so I can monitor them all and I pay it off each month. Yeah. In the sense of that, um, I do the same thing. I mm-hmm. use one for business right. and um, it gets paid off automatically every month. Right. So if you can set yourself up for success by, you know, if there's some free tickets like companion tickets or or miles that you can use for cash different back, things, whatever. Right. Yeah. It can actually be a way to um, help your financial situation. Sure. If you use them properly, they're a good tool. But um, and also, you know, if you're traveling and you don't have cash or there's a lot of places since COVID that went cashless. So if you don't have a That's debit true card too. handy, yeah, you can't pay. Yeah. If you don't have a debit card handy that or you don't have enough money in your bank account, you might need to float something for, you know, a couple of weeks or 30 days or the time till you can get back and actually arrange right. your financial situation yeah, to I take mean, care of it. And so the industry, it's, it's, not, a, it's a big industry, right? For Matt, you pay everything off, right? You're using it responsibly. So, But right. for every Matt, there's 10,000 people that let it run up and they get those crazy interest rates and so on and so forth. And that's where you get yourself in trouble. Yep. And, and you know, it's funny because there's this like credit card shame I find with people, you know, it's like, True. well, it's, we're talking about their financial situation. It's like, oh yeah. And so no other debts. No, no. no. Then, oh, well, my you know, credit oh, card. <laughs> well, I have this on, well, I did buy this furniture and I got like, you know, $1,500 on this one. You know, it's, it's, it's really not, oh, I say, what's the rate? Oh, I don't know. It's, 27%. it's not bad. It's, you know, probably four or 5%. And then I find out, oh yeah. Oh, there's this other credit card too. Yeah. We did this and you know, we got 3000 on that one. And if, like, okay. if somebody's got 4% on a credit card, I want to know what that is. Cause that yeah. Yeah, is more <laughs> like 14 or 18, but yeah. So what, what I end up finding though, is that, um, people just, uh, sometimes we just out of the pure lack of not taking responsibility or not thinking, um, intentionally, yeah. we, sometimes we succumb to just, Oh yeah, just throw it on that card and we'll, we'll take care of it later. And, that and happens, all of a sudden, right. yeah. All of a sudden, that can build up to hundreds of dollars a month in interest. And I think you've got money in the bank. Why don't you just transfer and pay that card off and then pay yourself these hundreds of dollars every single month? So you got to make smart financial decisions. That's a good if point. You, if you can't make smart financial decisions uh, and if you can't set this up automatically for success, you mm-hmm. should not use yeah. credit cards. There you go. Hey, that is the credit card police coming for you. Yeah, did you hear that in the background? <laughs> I heard that. Uh, you know, the listeners were like, "Uh-oh, they're coming to get Matt for talking about credit cards." My sound effects. There you go. So yeah, so, no, I think that's a great point, right? You got to know yourself first. Absolutely, you got to know yourself first. You got to know what your typical habits are have been. We're creatures of habit, so we don't change very easily. So if you cannot trust yourself or your spouse with a credit card, um, you need to get rid of them. And you, um, you know, I know that financial guru that you talked about. Yeah, he says never own a credit card. Right. Um, one pay, idea pay that that person cash. has yeah. that I, I kind of agree with is if you have a credit card for emergencies, put the sucker in a soup can, fill it up with water and put it in your freezer. And then next time you have an urge to go buy something and you can't afford it, take the can out and set it on the counter and let it thaw. And by the time it thaws, <laughs> if you can still justify that urge or that expense, then maybe it's okay. There to you use go. It. Interesting. But it, All right. but it may not be okay. Yeah. So, so a lot of times the credit card is there and it makes um, getting money too easy. Remember, it's a loan. A credit card is a loan. And anytime you go to use that thing, you better think, do I want to be uh, in debt to this, this company uh, or not? Yeah. That's and, a great um, point. 
beware. That's a great point. Well, there yep. you go. So the financial debates, five financial debates, uh, obviously not technically any right or wrong answers, but certainly going to be an answer depending on your unique situation. And that's why they are financial debates. But you know, finding yourself on the right side of it is what you want to do. And that's where typically a financial professional comes into play. So if you need help, as always, stop by the website, greatlakesretirementsolutions.com. And that's greatlakesretirementsolutions.com to get on Matt's calendar to learn more about the team. There's got a lot of tools, tips, resources. You can subscribe to the podcast. So all that good stuff at the website. Matt, thanks for hanging out, my friend. Thank you, Mark. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We hope that uh, you realize we do take sides on these decisions, but it really depends on your situation. Mm -hmm. So um, definitely give us a call. If you have any just lingering questions or you say, well, how does that apply to me? Give me a call. We'll be happy to talk to you about it and uh, get get you square on your situation. There you go. 989-401-2949. That's the number. We'll see you next time here on Mondays with Matt. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.